You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. I made this exciting announcement that I wrote a book in 2020. Um, most of last year, I was kind of toiling with and wrestling through how to articulate the message of God's extravagant love to the church that I love, to each of you. And so this is the product of that. This is the fruit of that. It's called, it's called A Prince from the Ashes from Psalm 113, verses 7 and 8. that says he lifts the needy from the ashes and places them with princes. And so that's the story God wants to write over your life, that he takes you from the pit of despair and hopelessness and doesn't just bring you back onto this this level playing ground of survival, but instead props you up with princes in a kingdom. That's the the heights of glory that he positions you in, in Christ. So it's extravagant, it's mind-blowing, and oftentimes our hearts resist it, and this book is meant to invite you into the depths of that, into the journey of that, because it's never, never even a final destination. It's really a journey, it's the beginning of our eternity with Christ, and so I unpack it by exploring the love of the Father, the love of the Son, the love of the Holy Spirit, the love of the Father to take us from being orphans to being adopted into the family, the love of the Son that takes us from being slaves to actually being free, co-heirs with Christ in a kingdom, and the love of the Holy Spirit to take us from being worthy of death, irredeemable, to actually being hosts of his presence. And so um, it breaks it down in those three parts. There's response sections uh, in those three parts as well. And so it's free. It's free for you. Take it. Take it this morning. Free for you, my friend. Um, (laughs) Just for a limited time. So um, there, is, there is Kindle version online. There's uh, audio version coming very soon if that's, your, if that's your cup of tea, if that's what you prefer. Those are very affordable. I think they're like $4.69 or something online if you prefer the digital version or audio version coming very soon. So um, check it out on Amazon. This morning we are wrapping up this series uh, called Battle Lines. And uh, we've been in this series kicking off this new year unpacking and exploring the spiritual battle that exists. So when you signed up to follow Jesus, when you said yes to him as your savior, there's a whole, whole lot more to it than you even knew at the time. As you were kind of birthed into this, this infancy in Christ, there's this whole world that existed, and part of that world is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual realm that all of a sudden you begin to be enlightened to, or your eyes begin to be open to. And so I, want, I don't want us to be caught unaware. I want us to understand what's at stake and the, the, the intensity of the battle daily to follow Jesus. And, and, the, and I, want to, I want you to clearly understand that there is an enemy seeking to steal, kill, and destroy over your life. Um, I want to show you, show you a passage this morning. We're going to talk about God's word as uh, the sword of the spirit this morning. We've talked about prayer as action the very first week. Second week, we talked about how obedience you know, uh, shuts, shuts the enemy down. Um, and then we, we talked about worship as warfare last week. If you missed any of those messages, you can check them out on our podcast. This morning, I want us to talk about God's word as an offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit. But I was reading recently through the book of Judges um, a couple months ago, and this portion, just these two verses just popped out at me, and I want to just point that, I want them to kind of set the stage for this morning. Judges chapter 3, this is after the children of Israel have arrived in the promised land. So the, the plot of ground that God promised to his people, you know, the, the tools that he's using for his redemptive story, the nation of Israel, he, applied, he, he allowed them to have a plot of land, the promised land, the land of Canaan. And this is what it said, set up the story in Judges. Judges chapter 3, it says, these are the nations that the Lord left in the land for this reason. It's like he gives us a glimpse behind the curtain 
the, the rationale and God's wisdom and, and, and sovereignty. It says, to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. So God in his sovereignty, his wisdom, and his love, he's a loving father, he allowed some of these enemy nations, five of them to be exact, to, to still exist, to actually still be very in close proximity to Israel, within striking distance, for this reason, not because he's cruel, not because he, he dislikes Israel, but in fact, because he loves them and he wants them to grow into maturity and to understand with, with confidence what's at stake uh, all around them. And so he's, in verse two, it says, he did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. How else would they learn? Like they, they would never move into maturity if they weren't given these opportunities, these tests, these trials, these, these temptations. And I feel like for far too long, especially in the church in the West, the church is, in leadership has um, given a great disservice to, to people flooding into churches by not equipping you for battle, by not equipping you for the, the warfare that is all around you. Paul made it very clear that the paradigm changed from old covenant to new, new covenant, that we're not now waging war in the flesh, in the physical. Instead, we, we are fighting a spiritual battle against spiritual uh, strongholds, spiritual principalities in unseen places. And I don't want you to be unaware. I want you to be equipped. And that's really the heart of this message. What if God allowed for testings in opposition in your life to actually equip you? What if you flipped it on head? Instead of always having a pity party for ourselves, feeling bad for ourselves about the things that we face, what if God actually is setting you up to mature, to grow in strength, to actually be victorious? What if God wanted you to learn how to fight against the enemy? What if he wanted you to learn what's all available in him? The sad thing about the story in the book of Judges is that they didn't get it. They didn't learn the lessons. They never actually grew into maturity. If you, if you begin to read through the book of Judges, it can be kind of a depressing book because they, many of the generations went their own way and they followed after other gods and they actually caved to the, the, um, the pressures from these surrounding nations instead of learning to fight. And so I believe in you and I believe that God has put us here for a reason in this moment in our generation and I want us to be equipped I want us to be equipped specifically this morning to handle God's word. I remember when I turned 18, my dad came to me and he said he felt like he had failed me as a father. Um, my dad's amazing. I talk about him most weeks uh, because he's one of the main reasons that I uh, surrendered my life to Christ after watching his testimony. But when I was 18, he came to me and he said, I, I feel like I failed you as a, as a father, Drew, uh, because he never taught me how to shoot a gun. So 18 years under his roof and he taught me a lot of things. Uh, how to work with my hands, how to take responsibility for, for my little world, how to camp, how to fish, those sorts of manly things. But he never taught me how to shoot a gun. And so he, he rallied together some of his uh, buddies from work. From, he's a firefighter. And we went out to the range, and he taught me how to respect a firearm, how to shoot it confidently. And I, I'm thankful for that. But in the church, sadly, what's happened is we have, we've relegated the handling of God's word, uh, word to a few select leaders and left everybody else defenseless. Everybody else ill-equipped to actually step into the battle, actually run into the battle with a confidence and with a faith. Uh, and so I want you to be equipped this morning to handle God's word, to begin to take it as a, as a weapon and, and understand it as a weapon. So let's set the stage with the picture that uh, Paul paints in Ephesians chapter 6. It'll be on the screen. I'm going to be in a lot of different passages this morning unpacking this theme of the offensive weapon of God's word. 
It says, Ephesians chapter six, we read this the very first week, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So that's God's will for your life. It's not for you to fail. It's not for you to get mulled down by the enemy. No, his, his will for you is, to stand, is that you would stand firm. You'd be fully equipped, fully equipped in the armor of God, standing firm and strong. That's his will for your life. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And then take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So we, we use this passage the very first week to set the stage for prayer, really being the all-encompassing uh, practice that activates the full armor of God. But I want us to key in on how he describes the word of God. He describes it as the sword of the spirit. He describes all the armor of God, all of which are defensive armor, to protect us from the enemy. But he kind of takes a turn when it comes to the, to the word of God. And it becomes an actual offensive weapon. It's the, the, the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And I want you this morning to begin to understand it in that sort of vivid imagery. This is an offensive word. It is honestly, oftentimes offensive to your own heart. Offensive to what's going on deep in the inner recesses of your heart. But it's also offensive against the enemy. He hates it when God's people begin to be activated in his word, in, in, in the Lord's word, in the revelation of who God is. He hates it. That's why he, he puts up these, uh, he, he begins to plant in your mind these lies about being intimidated by it, by uh, your, the busyness of your life, about all these excuses that would keep you away from beginning to immerse yourself in the word and activating yourself in the, in the word. But I want you to begin to think of it as a weapon, offensive weapon. And that means you need to begin to grow comfortable in wielding it. You yourself, picking it up. Not, not always having to come to somebody else. You know, when crisis comes, that you would have a confidence to say, I'm gonna go wield the word of God for myself. I'm, not, I'm no longer gonna start Googling my questions in my crisis. I'm no, I'm no longer gonna go to some mediators, to some spiritual leader. And I'm not saying those things are bad. Obviously, God's placed us in community. But I think there, there, there needs to become a point in your walk with Jesus in maturity where you begin to grow in a confidence to pick up the word of God for yourself and begin to wield it. Think of it this morning literally as a large, heavy sword. If there's a large, heavy sword here and you've never in your life um, handled a sword, being that we don't live in the Middle Ages anymore, the first time you pick it up, you would be kind of slow and cautious you would kind of grab it and not quite understand the equilibrium of it all. You would, you'd, yeah, you'd just be kind of timid about it. But over time, with repetition, with exposure and experience, over time you begin to grow in confidence in it. You may not be a you know, samurai soldier, but over time you'll begin to grow in more and more confidence with that sword. So it is with God's word. And God's will for your life is, is that sort of maturity. That you'd have more confidence, more faith to say, this word is actually relevant to my life. It's living and active. And in its proper context, it can't be read like any other book. Instead, Holy Spirit, in communion with Holy Spirit, he makes it come alive and applied to the very recesses of our heart. Doing a refining, a sanctifying work in us. So that's God's will for you. It's maturity. You know, if I'm a grown man, which I am, and my wife was still cutting my steak, 
That would be a failure of physical development on my part, of maturity, am I right? You understand? For my kids, there's, a, there's an age window of which I cut their meat, I cut, I cut their steak, but my 10-year-old son is at a point now where he, he can be responsible enough with a knife, with a sharp object, to cut it himself. And if our kids leave the house and aren't cutting their own meat, that's, that's immaturity. And oftentimes that exists in the church where people haven't learned to handle the, the dangerous nature of God's words. Like, yeah, they can't handle it. I have to sparse it up for them. I have to unpack it for them so they don't stumble over things. For a season, that's fine. But I'm telling you, God's will for your life is for you to step into a level of maturity with Holy Spirit where you can begin to handle God's word for yourself skillfully and with confidence. So Hebrews chapter four, he again describes the word of God in this way, like a sword. And I, I want this to kind of set the stage here for how we're gonna unpack this and how I wanna activate you. Hebrews chapter four says, for the word of God is living and active. I mean, it's not like any other book on your bookshelf. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. The nuances and the the, the unknown mysteries of the difference between your soul and your spirit, your soul being your mind, will, and your emotions, your spirit being your eternal being, the, the part of you that allows you to relate with God. The word of God can divide and separate and discern between those two things, between joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You cannot know even, the, even the own, your own intentions of your own heart without the word of God giving you discernment. Verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So his word is, is an offensive weapon. It's sharp. It's dangerous. And I believe this morning I, uh, I want to present to you two cutting edges of God's, worth, uh, God's word, and they are truth and grace. Two cutting edges of God's word are truth and grace, and you need both of them every single day in your life as a follower of Jesus. John chapter 1 John says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The logos, the, the, the revelation of God became flesh. That's Jesus. It's synonymous. The, the revelation of Jesus, you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. Jesus said that himself. Nobody's seen the Father, but they've seen me. Therefore, you've seen the Father. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Full of grace and of truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. That's, that's the truth portion. The old covenant was setting the stage for our need for God. So we need truth. But then Jesus came and Jesus is grace upon grace, the fullness of grace poured out, and so then the rest of verse 17, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. So Jesus is this revelation of God to man. And, and the apostle John here equates the revelation of God to man in Jesus to, to the word. God has given us a revelation of what he is like. Our condition, our position without him, and then the redemptive love of God that's made available to each and every one of us. So let's first unpack the, the cutting edge of grace that's needed in our daily lives. 
We need the cutting power of grace every single day in our life. Grace is God's kindness. It's his forgiveness. It's his goodness revealed, manifest. Grace is it's a gift that we could never earn. It's, it's unmerited favor. And so grace speaks those things over you. And we need that every single day. I need forgiveness spoken over me. I need adoption spoken over me. I need identity spoken over me. I need purpose spoken over me. And grace does that. Grace accomplishes that work in our lives. And so the word of God, when you pick it up, you begin to cut into your heart with the power of grace. Grace is the love of God to save us while we were sinners, while we were enemies, honestly, when we wanted nothing to do with him, yet he still pursued us in love, gave us an opportunity to encounter him. That is grace. Let's look at Ephesians chapter two. That unpacks it beautifully. Verse one, it says, and you were dead in in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You know, as we've been in this series, what's been jumping off the pages to me in the word of God is the, the thorough paradigm of the spiritual battle that you and I exist in. And as Western believers, we oftentimes just read beyond that. You see what he's saying. In the sons of disobedience, all of, all of us, before we encounter Christ, we're all sons of obedience. There's this spirit at work in us that's at work in the world around us. It's this prince of the power of the air, as he calls him. We need to be aware and astute and alert to the spiritual paradigm, the spiritual reality that exists, the spiritual battle. Verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. God is just, and therefore justice is that there would be a consequence or a punishment for willful rebellion. And so that's all of us. Like we were all in willful rebellion against God, and so he calls us children of wrath. Like all of mankind, we're all born into that. But verse four, here's grace, but God, but God, we're all seduced by the spirit, the prince of the power of the air. We all think we can figure it out on our own. And so we go about trying to do that. We're living as children of wrath, meaning like we're going to get what's coming to us. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm talking about right here. He takes us from being dead in our trespasses to actually being placed and positioned in in heavenly places with Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus immeasurable, inestimable, inestimable, you know, incomprehensible grace of God, riches of his grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. And that's why it's needed daily. Because this is not a doctrine you, you click off. I mean, you just check off the list. I understand. No, you don't understand it. That's why you need it daily in your heart of hearts to penetrate deep down to the inner recesses of who you are. And this is how grace does that. And this is why it's needed daily. Firstly, grace discerns between who we were and who we are in Christ. So much of the work of 
daily grace in our lives is teaching us about the identity that we now have in Christ. You were dead in your trespasses. You were in willful rebellion, but now you're not. Now you're a new creation. He gave you a fresh start. He gave you a new birth, a new start. You used to follow the courses of this world. You used to follow the passions of your flesh. That's not who you are anymore. So no longer does your sin define you. And so, so followers in Jesus, we should never allow sin to be the identifier over our lives. Our new identity in Christ is that he's positioned us with him, sons and daughters, with an inheritance, with a purpose upon our lives. We're no longer defined by our sin. That's not who you are anymore. And so grace says that to you. And so you pick it up. You begin to discern. There's, there's a, a war being waged upon your soul to believe something about yourself. You're like, I don't, I don't know if that's true. You open up God's word. It's like a mirror that allows you to see accurately what you really look like and what's going on in your heart. And all of a sudden it begins to cut into the very intentions of your heart. You begin to realize that's not who I am. This is who I am now in Christ. Grace, secondly, discerns between shame and conviction. This is so important for us to understand. Shame and guilt, kind of you know, twin, twin sisters, twin cousins. They, that, those things, shame and guilt, they drive us away from God. They, they put a wedge between us and God. They allow you to feel this pity and this remorse from your sin that actually drives you away from God rather than a remorse for your sin that drives you towards the goodness of God and towards his forgiveness. So conviction is a gift. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit to like illumine your senses and your, your sight to see properly, to see the error of your ways. And that's grace. That's, that's the goodness of God, the kindness, the mercy of God for his children to be able to see accurately. But shame and guilt, it drives us away from God. It just makes you feel bad about, about you. And then he begins to seep lies you know, a slip lies into your mind. But no, see, you're no different. You're a hypocrite. You're no different now. See, nothing's changed. And that's the way the enemy works. He begins to incite that shame and that guilt in you that drives you away from God. As you pick up God's word as an offensive weapon in your life, you begin to realize conviction rather than shame and guilt, and it drives you to the mercy seat of God. Then you find yourself before the goodness of God with arms wide open. And he then wraps his arms around you and you experience his grace, his forgiveness. And he says, son, you're better than this. I've created you for something more. I've created you as, a, as an overcomer, as one who's victorious. Thirdly is this, grace discerns between apathy and gratitude. Apathy and gratitude. Apathy is a, is a form of pride that takes for granted the work of God. It spurns the gift of God. Whereas gratitude is a response to God's kindness. And I believe that the, one of the chief tools of the enemy is, is inciting pride, pouncing on pride. He loves pride and inciting it in our hearts. He loves to stoke it into full-blown full blown rebellion against God. And apathy is the beginning of that. We take for granted the work of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God. Say, yeah, I can take a few days off. <laughs> God's so good. His grace is so amazing. It doesn't matter how I live. That is the spirit of apathy. And grace allows us to discern the difference between apathy 
and gratitude, which says, God, I'm so thankful for your goodness and your kindness that I want to live differently today. I want to live a life in response to your kindness and your grace, your patience with me. So I'm not advocating for some sort of perfection this side of heaven, but I believe it's an attitude of the heart that's available to every child of God. So we need the cutting power of grace in our daily lives. Second is this, we need the cutting power of truth in our lives. Let's look at the other side of the sword, the sword of the spirit. We need both cutting edges. The cutting power of his grace. We also need the cutting power of truth in our daily lives. The truth sets us free. I love that that's written on the Parks Library at Iowa State. You just check it out and you pray that over your campus. Truth that sets free. We need truth. It's truth that divides between truth the, the fabric of the universe that God set in motion and error, erroneous thinking. You're thinking in circles, self-destructive thought. The truth of God's word pierces through that. You begin to see clearly. His word cuts revealing God's thoughts from our thoughts, separating God's opinions from our own opinions. Let's look at this in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. See, here we go again with the spiritual realm. It's like everywhere in the New Testament, but so often we, we miss it. We just kind of gloss over it as, as left brain, Western post-enlightenment believers. It says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. It's Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of God. So not Jesus just as a historical figure, but he's saying Jesus Christ, both as Lord and as God, coming in the flesh, if people confess that, that spirit that's at work is from God. Every other spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which can sound like an intimidating uh, phrase, but there's been this work, this spirit of the Antichrist, as he says it here, but really that's a spirit that's opposed to God. That's what that means. Just a spirit that's opposed to God has been at work on the earth. That shouldn't be news to us. That's been obvious from, from the beginning. What you heard was coming is now in the world already. Verse four, little children, you are from God and you've overcome them. That's who you are. You are an overcomer. You are victorious. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. He's talking about the apostles and the prophets, the writers of the New Testament. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It's by listening to the revelation of God handed to us by the prophets, the apostles. Allows us to discern between truth and error. The world listens to the spirit of the prince of the power of this age. But God's got a different plan for you, and he equips you differently. Truth is grounding. It's like the wise man that builds his house on the rock. Truth is necessary, and you should speak this over your life. It's necessary to function as a child of God. You cannot function as a child of God without truth. And here's a principle to help you begin discerning truth from error. Where chaos and confusion is, there also is error. And the inverse of that is also possible. Where error is, confusion and chaos will follow every single time. Truth is necessary for order. The, the entire universe is held together with a sense of truth. 
It cannot exist without a sense of order and truth. So it's no wonder that in this age where truth is being questioned on so many fundamental levels that anxiety is rising. Anxiety is increasing. That's the confusion and chaos that follows error, erroneous thinking. So truth is needed in our lives, folks. This is needed in our lives as an offensive weapon to cut through our heart, to allow us to discern what's really going on. So here are three ways in which the truth is needed daily in our lives. First is this, truth discerns between voices. The voices, we all got a lot of voices going on inside of our heads, right? <laughs> Come on, let's be honest. There's a lot going on in there, and sometimes it's hard to discern what's what, who's who. You have the voice of your own imagination, of your own mind, of your own flesh. There's the voice of the enemy. There's also the voice of God, that still small voice. If you're a child of God, Holy Spirit lives in you, and you have these voices. Well, the truth of God's word is what, what allows you to begin to discern the voice of the shepherd over your own flesh, over your own imagination, over the voice of the enemy. This is so important. It's one of the, the primary ways in which God's word is meant to be applied to your life. So I'm praying for a revelation for you to understand that this is a living and active word. You cannot read it the same anymore. And this has been my prayer all week long, is that, that, that you would uh, see this word as living and active. Begin to pick it up. Begin to realize it, it only makes sense if you begin to apply it to your life. If you're checking a box, if you're doing a reading plan, and you're not getting anything out of that reading plan in, in a way that's actually being applied to your life, penetrating your heart, then throw it aside. There's no point in doing it. Only, only go about those, those things to the level that they're actually impacting your heart, impacting your life. Begin to immerse yourself in, in, in an activating way in the word of God. There's a verse that I pray over my nine-year-old daughter, Lucy, almost every single day, Proverbs chapter three, verses five through six. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll make your path straight. I pray that over it. Lord, that you would trust in you with all of her heart. Because you know what the world is speaking over our children, over my own nine-year-old daughter? You know, trust, trust your heart, Lucy. That's what the, the, the enemy, this world, this, the spirit of this age is speaking over, over this generation. Trust your heart. Well the, well, the word says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. So I pray over her that she would trust in the Lord with all of her heart. She wouldn't lean on her own understanding. Said she'd acknowledge the Lord in all of her ways and he'll make her path straight. He'll lead her into all truth. And the Holy Spirit has given us that promise that he'll lead us into all truth. And he does that primarily through the word. So it becomes this partnership with the word of God. You sit with the word wide open and you can read you know, successively through, through the Bible. I think that's amazing. I think it's, it's needed. You should do it. But Holy Spirit has to be invited into it to begin to allow it to be activated and applied to your life. Second is this. Truth closes the door on temptations. Just case closed. Closes the door on temptations. We oftentimes just fiddle around and play around with temptations far too long. You know, Jesus gives us that example in Matthew chapter 4. And every time the enemy tempts him, he responds with scripture. He responds with the word of God. And it shuts the door. It's like the enemy has no way to respond, no way to go any further with that temptation. And so I encourage you to, to, to memorize scripture, to grow in your confidence, to say, I know there's an answer for that. I'm feeling all messed up in my mind. I'm feeling turned around. These looming doubts and questions, I know there's an answer for that. And you begin yourself to begin to apply the word and the truth of God's word to those situations. 
And it closes the door on temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, God gives us his promise that he is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle, beyond your ability. That's what scripture tells us. God is not setting you up for failure. Just like we learned in Judges chapter three, that passage I opened with. He's not setting you up for failure. He's leading us and he's allowing us to experience tests and temptations and trials because you're an overcomer. And so it says he will provide a way of escape. There's always a way of escape every single time. So there's always an answer to temptation that closes the door immediately. Third is this, truth keeps our heart tender and pure. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward. Truth keeps our hearts tender and pure. You know, when we surrender our life to Christ, scripture says that he takes our heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. He gives us a soft, fresh start, a baby heart. You, know, you just got, you just got a, a soft, malleable heart before God. But something happens in life and it happens to all of us. None of us are immune to this. We get wronged, we get betrayed. People offend us and soon seeds of bitterness begin to get lodged in our heart. Unforgiveness begins to take root. Jealousy exists. You know, the traps that compare us and all that stuff begins to get lodged in our hearts. And what ends up happening over time if we don't allow God's word to begin to pierce through that stuff is it begins to harden our heart. It's like there's this outer exterior to our heart that, that's restricting life flow, restricting our heart from really being alive in God. There's actually a medical condition. We have a friend up north who suffers from this medical condition where the outer portion of his heart has been, has been hardened. It's restricting the, the pumping of the, the actual muscle in his organ. It's serious. It's fatal. And so it is in our spiritual lives with God. When bitterness takes root and begins to harden our heart, we begin to be tainted by life and cynicism. And the enemy is trying to choke out the life of God in our heart and our life. And so what happens is then we, if we're active in this spiritual battle, we pick up God's word, we submit ourselves to the, the cutting edge of truth, and it begins to pierce through that, pierce through the bitterness, the betrayal, the unforgiveness, and be set free from those things by God's Holy Spirit. It's like Holy Spirit is like a heart surgeon, if you'll allow him to be. He'll do a work in your heart. So this is what we need. We need the cutting edge of God's truth and his grace, grace in our lives. If you all stand to your feet in this place, I want us to respond to God. Yeah, I walked with God through high school. I'm so thankful for the experiences I had in high school. And, Received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God did so much. But I remember a season, my freshman year of college, which I consider as one of my uh, the singular seasons of wandering for myself, really questioning things. As my freshman year of college, I, I began to fall into the traps of self-destructive addictions. And addictions specifically begin to isolate you from people that love you most. And I remember myself doing that in my own life, isolating myself from my own Chi Alpha community. I began to step back and found myself alone a lot more often. I started to dabble with other friendships outside a Christian community, not in a missional way, not with a heart to love them like Jesus, but because I was wandering. I was recently cleaning out my office, though, 
and uh, like you, you just got to do sometimes declutter. And I, I came across the journal from that season that I had. I looked at the dates. It was that like late fall of my freshman year of college. And I had pages upon pages in my journal of scripture. And that is the power of God's truth and grace to bring us back to, to who we are in him, to what he's really created us for, to do that heart surgery on us. So, so these are the, the passages I wrote down. I wrote down 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's will for my life. It begins to cut through my heart. Uh, Luke chapter 10. Nevertheless, do rejoice, or don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Verses after verses like that. Luke chapter 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The promises of God, the truth of God, his grace and his truth applied to my life. And I, yes, I point to the, like the, the bevy, like the, um, the help of community to bring me back into truth and grace, but I can't overlook the reality of the, the cutting edge of God's truth and his grace to be applied to my heart in a way that brings me back and allows me to fight again in this battle. So if you're wondering, Drew, okay, so what do I do with this? I believe you. It's living and active. It's, a, it's different than any other book written on the planet. What do I do? Here's two things you can do. One is you begin to memorize God's word. Pick a verse, pick two verses. Write them on a card, put them on your bathroom mirror, put them on your fridge, you know, in a place that you can begin to immerse yourself in God's word. So you can begin to activate uh, yourself in, his, in the revelation of who he is and the ways he's, in which he's equipping you. Secondly, something you can do is write this down, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is an entire psalm, lengthy psalm, the longest chapter in the entire Bible, all about a love for the word of God. So if you're like, I don't have a love for the word of God, I believe, it's li I believe that's living and active, but I don't ever have a desire to read it. It's, it's intimidating or it's, I don't understand or it's boring. Just start here. Just read and actually pray Psalm 119. It's like 170 some verses. So you got plenty of material to go off of. Just pick two or a few. Here, I'll just give you an example. It says, in the, this is verse 14, in the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. You may not believe that at first, but you begin to pray that over your life. You begin to declare that out loud. It'll begin to be, become a reality. The very next verse, I will meditate on your precepts. I'll fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And there's 170 some verses like that over and over and over. The delight in God's word, of, of the kindness of him to reveal himself to us. You begin to pray that over your life and you begin to see a faith activated to believe the Holy Spirit wants to refine you and mature you and strengthen you in the things of God. So we're gonna respond to God right now. I've gone a little long, so let's respond to Jesus. We thank you for the revelation of your word. You didn't have to reveal yourself to us. You could have said good riddance and left us to our own demise, but you didn't. You've been so faithful and passionate about pursuing us in love. 
You can't deny who you are and you are love. So you pursued us, you revealed yourself to us. Obviously you gave yourself for us through, through the revelation of your son. And so Lord, we take in hand this week the revelation of your word. And we say together as a church family, as followers of Jesus, we want to grow in confidence to wield it effectively in our lives, cutting into our hearts with truth and with grace, discerning false spirits and errors, allowing us to be victorious and overcomers, allowing us to be made strong in you. So I pray over every person here, anyone listening at a later date, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, you'd give them a heart to receive from you this week, that with fresh eyes, like childlikeness, they'd peer into your word, not wanting it to be secondhand, handed to them from, from a pastor or a leader, but as a child of God at your feet, hungering for the revelation of God that it began to pierce into their heart, transforming them, seeing who they are in light of who you are, who you've called them to be in your mighty name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.